0: This is Tom Koslick, the head of research and analytics at Hilltop Securities. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today for this episode of our Hilltop Talks Politics and Finance podcast series for 2021. During these discussions, we consider topics that intersect the worlds of politics and finance at the federal, state, and local levels in the United States. We often concentrate on issues related to U.S. public finance and the municipal bond market. Today, we're going to review a topic that comes up in almost every conversation that I have with municipal bond market observers, and that topic is really the search for an answer of how public finance entities, and especially state and local governments, are spending the funds they receive from the federal government's CARES Act and Rescue Plan Act. To help answer that or those questions, we are joined again, thankfully, by Amanda Cass. Amanda, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Amanda is an associate director at the Government Finance Research Center at the University of Illinois at Chicago. She's a Ph.D. in urban planning and policy, and she's been closely following this topic. You can see all of Amanda's commentary at her website, https backslash backslash amandacass.blog. Under the notebook section on her website, she published a commentary called How Many States Shared CARES Act Money with Local Governments? For those interested in this topic, please take a look at that recent post. And before we jump into the specific details with Amanda, I wanted to review and give everyone listening uh, a refresher on the federal government fiscal policy relief that public finance entities received in the last year and in 2021 so far. President Trump signed the $2.7 trillion CARES Act or the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act into law back on March 27th in 2020. That was the largest COVID-19 relief package we saw out of Washington, and it sent $150 billion to state and local governments. But that money also had some pretty severe constraints. Uh, that CARES Act, uh the fiscal the overall fiscal policy also created that municipal liquidity facility that so many uh, municipal bond market observers, I'm sure, remember. Then in March of 2021, President Biden signed the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan Act into law. That was the sixth phase of COVID-19 fiscal policy relief, and the uh, that Rescue Plan Act included a significant amount of relief for public finance entities, In the amount of, by my count, that totaled about 650 billion. 130 billion of that was directed to K through 12 schools, and 350 billion went to state local governments. And that brings us back to Amanda's November 9th commentary, where she focused on the 2020 CARES Act spending. And Amanda, uh, how is it that you found state local governments approached? Not just the CARES Act, but the CARES Act process and those, res- those severe restrictions that I mentioned. The requirements were pretty strict. Uh, how, how did that impact state local government's approach to spending the CARES Act funds?
1: Yeah, thanks, Tom. That's a great question and a great kind of recap. So I kind of think the CARES Act program was kind of, I, I'd like to describe it as like flexibly strict. Um, Because there was kind of a broad parameter of what state and local governments could spend the money on, and that was it had to be uh, something tied to the public health emergency or economic disruption of COVID-19. But within that, there was kind of broad latitude. So you state and local governments could spend the money on um, PPE for public employees, but they could also... Uh, use the money to create emergency rent relief programs for their residents in their community. So there was some latitude, and we ca- we saw governments kind of approach it, um, I think, a little bit cautiously, and it evolved over time because there there was no existing program infrastructure for the CARES Act federal relief to state and local governments, right? So. We kind of can think of it as they're flying the plane as they're building it. And um, Treasury's guidelines about the program evolved over time. I I looked at it before we started our conversation. I think there was nine different changes to the Mm -hmm. Treasury's um, kind of guidelines for what the money could and couldn't be spent on.
0: So even even saying that it was strict might be a little bit of an overstatement because not only was it made – I mean, it doesn't sound like it was so strict that they weren't able to use it, but it also – the poly, the the guidelines evolved over time is what you're saying. Okay.
1: Exactly, and it was stricter uh, in comparison to the American Rescue Act, American Rescue Plan Act
0: program. Do you have an idea of how much of that 150 billion uh, coronavirus relief fund money has already been spent, and where can we see that data?
1: Yeah, so that's an important thing, too. Another reason, going back to the, you know, how were they approaching it, is one thing that's important to note, right, is the deadline for the spending changed. Originally, all the money had to be spent by December 2020, and it was extended to December 31st, 2021, meaning that all the money has to be spent at the end of this calendar year. Um, And I just looked up the data, and it looks like about 90% of the money has been spent thus far. Mm -hmm. Um, so about 10% remaining to be spent.
0: Is there some place that you have identified, uh, that folks could take a look at that shows, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's interactive, but is there a, uh, uh, federal government or there, is there some kind of, uh, spot that where folks can see uh, that data?
1: The data is available on the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee's website, um, pandemicoversight.gov, and they have a kind of interactive dashboard so you can really drill down to a specific project within a specific state or local government. But you can also download the entire data set, which as a researcher, I'm interested in the entire data set, and I want to be able to analyze it to get at these bigger trends of um, did we see states spend money in, in ways different than cities? Did we see kind of regional differences? And uh, it's a very large data set. So I'm still kind of working with it to try and kind of clean it up and analyze it to um, answer some simple questions like how many states shared some of their money with local governments?
0: So were you, were you able to get an idea of whether or not there were some Uh, Trends that were shared by states and local governments with regard to the how it is that that money was being spent and how it was shared.
1: Not with that data set yet. So Uh it's I think that the data is very granular. So again, Mm -hmm. it's great if you really want to drill down on a specific project or a specific state or city. It's not good if you're a researcher like me and you want to analyze the entire data set. Mm -hmm. We did have. The Treasury put out an interim report at at kind of very early on with the CARES Act spending. Um, And at that time, states had only spent about a quarter of the money. Um, But that we could see that two biggest buckets they were spending was transferring to local governments and then spending on public health expenses. That was kind of very early on. So who knows if that holds true today?
0: In other words, that could that could have evolved and or changed based on, okay, so we'll, we'll have to make sure that we uh, come back and hit that, uh, after you're, after you have a chance to, to go through that data, uh, in more detail. Where, what about where the rescue plan act spending is concerned from a big picture perspective? Uh, I'm I'm thinking, first of all, it was more money that state governments were able to get from the rescue plan act. What else? What is it that, uh, state and local governments are likely to be considering uh, when they're thinking about those funds?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's, more, it's not only more money, but it's also more governments that are guaranteed some portion of the money. So the CARES Act money, it was only very large cities, cities with populations of at least uh, half a million mm-hmm. that got the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus the ARPA program, um, it's tens of thousands of cities that are, are getting the money. And the kind of buckets of spending categories are broader. So it can be used for the economic and health effects of COVID-19, but governments can also use it for revenue replacement. And they can use it for premium pay. And then they can also use it for water, sewer, and broadband infrastructure. And kind of importantly, while Treasury issued its interim report back in May, Um, It hasn't issued its final report, its final uh, rules for the program. And so I think lots of governments have come out with plans for how they um, are going to use the money. But I think we might see some changes to that or in some places might kind of still be hesitating to kind of finalize their spending plans until Treasury comes out with its final rules
0: in by and large uh I'd have to now the, there is an expiration or i should say a date by which uh they're, they need to be spent they need to spend the the rescue plan act money uh and when exactly is that
1: the money has to be allocated by twenty twenty four and then the actual kind of cash flow that has to happen by the end of twenty twenty six
0: it's it's a number of years but i guess I'm, and and this is one of the things that I've been keeping in mind in that You know, this this is still one-time money, and so there's there's a certain amount of spending light items that entities are likely to um, be considering with this money. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. Um, I think the kind of finance best practice idea is one-time money like this, even though it can be spent over a number of years, should be used for one-time purposes meaning you wouldn't want to kind of necessarily create an ongoing pro- program or hire kind of new permanent employees for which you'd ha- the city or state would have a spending obligation past 2026.
0: One of the things that I've been uh, thinking about a lot over the last, not just couple of weeks, after the October jobs number uh, came out, but over the last several months when, you know, I've seen since the Rescue Plan Act was signed into law uh, in March of this year, the amount of state and local government jobs did come back. It started, those numbers started to recover. But in August, September, and October, the number of state and local government jobs has actually dipped over the last couple of months. And one of the things that I'm remembering is that back in March and April, March or April, the Treasury Secretary Specifically mentioned that one of the things that this $350 billion for state and local governments, one of the things that they were expecting this could do is maybe the better way to describe it is the maybe change a policy error that they saw after the Great Recession in that there wasn't significant relief that went to state and local governments and state and local government employment Finally dipped in, like you know, finally uh, dipped out in uh, twenty, I think thirteen, and didn't recover to pre Great Recession levels. I think till twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, and the Treasury Secretary was uh, wrote about how that was a drag on overall economic growth. That's a long way of saying, perhaps they, on the one hand, they thought that this three hundred fifty billion might help correct that policy error. That being said, what you're describing is a circumstance in which they probably wouldn't be using this money to hire back ongoing people uh, that are going to be employed after the next two or three years, right? So am I thinking about that the right way?
1: I think so. And I think every state and local government is is kind of gonna be using their own um unique circumstances, their own kind of political and policy priorities and, and thinking through and deciding how they use this money. Um, and kind of one at way that the money can, spending can indirectly bolster city finances for the long-term, right? Is, an econo- is boosting the economic recovery, right? So uh, if your economy, your local economy is taking a hit, maybe you use the spending not on um, hiring back public employees or hiring new public employees, but you use it for an initiative in your city or your state that you think is going to spur economic recovery, which will, you know, down the road, help your revenue um, tax collections.
0: So those could be kind of uh, the way that I'm thinking about it, as you're describing political or economic development priorities that might have been even identified before the COVID crisis, but this might be, a, you know, a financial way for them to be able to enact those ideas?
1: Potentially, if they can, if you have to kind of create, right, a, a rationale tie tying it to kind of COVID. And importantly, the Biden administration um, has said that they, they want the money to be spent in such a way that it would address pre-COVID inequities in that made the impact of COVID so kind of uneven across uh, race and income lines, right? So it could be used, for pre-existing COVID priority, as long as you can kind of tie it to uh, the the, the kind of larger policy and and program aims of the ARPA program.
0: Now, are there, but has there been, is, is there, like with the CARES Act money, I mean, this has only been a couple of months, but is there data that shows the percentage of the Rescue Plan Act money that has been already expended and or spent?
1: There's not kind of aggregate data. Um, The National League of Cities has a kind of COVID tracker um, that is looking, obviously, specifically at cities and is capturing um, some cities' spending plans. Mm -hmm. And so some places have have passed plans for how they're going to spend the overall money, but that that doesn't mean that the money is actually being spent. It's just an authorization for a program um, or an authorization for a spending line item.
0: So we still we still don't yet have necessarily an aggregate level, but it's still it's only a couple of months. Right. So I'd, I would imagine that as time goes on, we'll we'll be able to see that kind of data. Uh, is there uh, you mentioned some of the reporting rules uh, you, and you mentioned that the rules are looser this time around is. How is that factoring into some of the individual plans from what it is that you've been able to uh, parse through?
1: So there, again, it's um, kind of four different program areas that they can spend Mm -hmm. on. Uh, It's public health and negative impacts, negative economic impacts of COVID. Governments can use it for revenue replacement and then use the money for their um, general government services, premium pay, water, sewer, broadband infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, What I kind of suspect is going to happen is that governments, to the extent that they can, are going to allocate the money to the revenue replacement category, in part because the kind of reporting rules program evaluation um, strikes me as a little bit easier if you're using it in the revenue replacement category than if you're using it in some of the other um, spending categories where the Biden administration wants the kind of outcome of the spending tracked much more closely.
0: So Amanda, what is it? I know that you uh, follow uh, what's happening in the city of Chicago very closely. Is there something happening? Have they put together a specific plan, and/or are there is there political background with how it is that some would like to see that money spent, and how it might actually be spent in Chicago?
1: Yeah. So Chicago, um, I think Chicago is kind of an interesting case to unpack some of the kind of complexity of what's going on and, and how it kind of layers together with local politics and local financial condition. Um, so the city of Chicago, um, the mayor proposed and the city council uh, subsequently approved this Chicago recovery plan, which is a multi year kind of spending plan for how the city is going to use its ARPA money. But it did this simultaneously with passing the 2022 budget, And then to add a little even more kind of complexity to it, in addition to the federal ARPA money, the Chicago recovery plan is also being financed with a new bond issuance. Um, So a couple of different revenue streams to finance this multi-year recovery plan while also passing uh, the 2022 budget.
0: It's interesting. So what uh, from a year over year perspective and i guess what i mean by year over year perspective is do you have a sense of the amount of money that chicago is receiving from the rescue plan act and and kind of is there a way to track exactly where it is that they're planning on having that go or be spent on and how much from a revenue replacement perspective that in includes
1: yeah, so the um, Chicago's getting nearly $2 billion in federal aid from the fiscal recovery program. Um, I think the kind of easiest way to track it or the kind of most detailed is in the recovery plan document itself. And in that, it looks like the, the plan was to use almost 70% of that money on revenue replacement and then use the other um, chunk on kind of new initiatives and then also financing initiatives with uh, that uh, bond issuance.
0: So do you have a sense uh for other cities now is that plan it sounds like that plan is pretty set in stone i mean if if chicago is planning if they've already incorporated into that into their budget um they're plan you know I, I would imagine that it could be changed if they, if they they need to make a change but it sounds like that's pretty set in stone are there are other state and local governments throughout the country, have they uh, kind of jumped at this as quickly as Chicago has? It's interesting because one of the things that I'm thinking about is I was thinking about a conversation that I had with someone several months ago who said one of the things that they were planning on doing was taking some time, um, first of all, to see – how the CARES Act money was expended in um, that person's state and in their area and region to make sure that that money was expended. And then to take a look at the Recovery Act money to see how it is that they could spend that most effectively. Uh, but because as you mentioned, the time that the, reco- the Rescue Plan Act money needs to be spent, it doesn't need to be spent for so- several years. So they were – Th- this individual recommended that state and local governments took little time to uh, put a plan in place. Um, do you feel as though there are others that are, you know, I mean, you already mentioned that there are some who are waiting for the final rules to come out. But are do you get a sense that there are others that might not necessarily even be waiting for that, but might be might be waiting till um, maybe the next even the next budget cycle to put those ty- the, to put those types of plans together?
1: So I think um, I think lots of places, lots of state and local governments have put at least preliminary plans together. Um, okay. And and the ARPA money is going out in tranches. Right. So you don't get the second tranche of money until you kind of spend your first tranche of money. Mm. Um, and then also as part of the program, uh, states in larger cities had to submit these recovery performance reports to Treasury, as well as. Um, Kind of project and, and spending reports. So they, they have to, the design of the program or the reporting requirements of the program are such that states and cities have had to come up with um, at least general kind of spending plans for how they are going to be using the money.
0: So are those spending, not just the spending requirements themselves, but the reporting requirements is that in some way, so it sounds like that might be uh, driving how it is that their proposals are created. Is it, are the reporting requirements factoring into how it is that they're spending the money at all? From what you can tell?
1: Yes, exactly. I, I suspect so. Um, again, okay. I think it when I read through the reporting requirements, uh, kind of it struck me that it's kind of more stringent if you're using the money on kind of a new program or a new initiative rather mm-hmm. than using the money for revenue replacement. And so that's why I suspect so much that governments, to the extent that they can, would allocate the money to revenue replacement um, rather than kind of new programs, which then they have to kind of evaluate and kind of provide those evaluation or outcomes to Treasury.
0: I see. So it's not even as – so part of it is a financial effectiveness question, but also – it's a, it's a reporting requirement that could be driving them to use it for that purpose, I see. Okay, that makes sense. Amanda, one of the things that has been an issue for some time is whether or not under uh, the Rescue Plan Act, uh, state and local governments would be able to use those funds to pay off uh, short-term debt or short-term loans. That's, uh, I don't think that we've gotten an answer to that. Uh, have we gotten an answer to that and or what is it that uh, the state and local governments that did that, what is it that they're planning on doing um, if they're not able to um, use the the funds for that?
1: We haven't gotten the kind of final word on it because uh, Treasury's final rule hasn't come out yet. Um, and so Chicago uh, is one of the entities that it took out short term debt um, to deal with revenue loss from COVID. Initially, Chicago was planning to use the federal money to directly pay that money uh, to pay the loan off. But then Treasury came out with its interim rule and said you can not the money can't be used to pay off debt. So then the kind of Chicago's plan changed, and it was going to um, use the federal money for revenue replacement. That then would kind of free up some of its uh, corporate or general fund money. And then it could pay the debt off. So indirectly, would be able to use some kind of financial maneuvering, the fungibility of a general fund to pay off the debt. And then there was kind of a, a political fight over this with some uh, progressive organizations and elected officials requesting that Treasury kind of um, make the rules even stricter so that money couldn't even be indirectly used to pay off debt. Um, it seems like Chicago found kind of a workaround for. Uh, kind of paying off the short-term debt that it took out. But again, we haven't seen the final rule yet, so we kind of don't know if Treasury is going to change that one way or not.
0: Well, let me ask a final question. I think that uh, it's a good transition because you just mentioned we're still waiting for those final the final rules from Treasury. Are there, what are the other big issues or the big questions that are outstanding uh, that we're waiting for Treasury to answer uh, in that process?
1: So I think the other kind of big thing that I'm looking to see if there's a change is in the revenue replacement category. Um, okay. So in after the interim rule was issued, there was a comment period and some people commented that the way that the revenue replacement was uh, to be calculated in the interim rule uh, was kind of overly strict and it or the calculation didn't let the city or state capture how it had actually been impacted by COVID. And so was requesting that that Treasury change the rules and kind of um, make a revenue replacement calculation uh, kind of broader so that their actual in- impact could be felt um, and realized, and they could use the money in that way um, so that's a big category that I'm looking to see if they make any more changes to
0: so we're recording this on November sixteenth uh, Do we have an idea of when the final rules are expected to be released?
1: I have not. Seen anything indicating when the kind of final rule will come out? Um, maybe any day now. Again, the comment period ended in July, and the the interim rule came out in May. So um, I think any moment now, uh, especially right. because you know states and cities are having to come up with plans and begin to spend this money.
0: Right. Okay. Well, we'll see uh, what happens when that, that that final information comes out and how the spending evolves, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get back together and discuss that then. I appreciate your time, Amanda. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thanks very much uh, to everyone who tuned in and downloaded our recording today. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, again, I'm going to thank Amanda for joining me, and I really enjoyed our discussion. I hope uh, all the listeners did. For those interested, you can see the recent Hilltop Securities Economic and Municipal Commentary and listen to our podcasts by going to hilltopsecurities.com backslash commentary. And you can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. I mentioned before, but want to reiterate that you can see all of Amanda's commentary at her website, https backslash backslash amandacast.blog. You should also follow her on Twitter as well. Uh, thanks again, everyone. We look forward to bringing you more color In the future related to topics that intersect the world of politics finance and public finance this has been tom koslick from hilltop securities thanks for listening to hilltop talks a hilltop securities podcast where we navigate the impact of politics and finance on the financial markets For those interested, you can view our Hilltop Securities Economic and Municipal Commentary by visiting hilltopsecurities.com backslash municipal dash commentary and hilltopsecurities.com backslash economic dash commentary. You can also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again, everyone, for subscribing, tuning in, and participating. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future on topics that intersect both the world of politics and finance. This has been Tom Koslick at Hilltop Securities. This communication is intended for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice, nor is it an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any investment or other specific product or service. Financial transactions may be dependent upon many factors, such as, but not limited to, interest rates, tax rates, supply, and change in laws, rules and regulations, as well as changes in credit quality and rating agency considerations. The effect of such changes changes in such assumptions may be material and could affect the projected results. Any outcome or result Hilltop Securities or any of its employees may have achieved on behalf of our clients in previous matters does not necessarily indicate similar results can be obtained in the future for current or potential clients. Hilltop Securities makes no claim the use of this communication will assure a successful outcome. For additional information, comments, or questions, please contact Hilltop Securities, Inc. Hilltop Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hilltop Holdings, New York Stock Exchange, ticker symbol HTH. Hilltop Securities is located at 717 North Harwood Street, Dallas, Texas 75201, phone number 833-4-HILLTOP, H-I-L-L-T-O-P, and is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities Investor Protection Corporation.